Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Dear dying Lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down, the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired. That's a great desire he speaks of. Hearted desire. With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, gave thanks, and brake it, gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. The, yesterday, the last 24, 48 hours have been rather unusual for me. <clears throat> I intended, I thought, that I would be preaching out of the Gospel of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life and they shall not perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then there was First John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, for it knew him not. Beloved, we are now the sons of God. Those are mighty scriptures. Oh, and sometimes as a pastor, you're pulled between all those wonderful truths. Yesterday, all day, the Lord just kind of took those verses away from or out of my heart and kind of just left me there alone. I told my wife yesterday, I said, I don't know why, but I feel very depressed today, very down today. And all day long, I struggled with the Lord in prayer. And he brought me back to this verse that I've preached on so often. I've read so many times. And the significance of the Lord's Supper. 
and he made me feel and sense my own unworthiness and sinfulness. But then he opened my eyes up anew to the wonderful blessings of what we're going to do this morning in remembering our Lord's sacrifice for our sins. For many years as a young believer, my understanding of the Lord's Supper and its great significance for the believer's spiritual well-being and comfort was clouded by the countless controversies which surrounded it. I knew the world didn't understand it and that Satan despises it, but that those who profess to know Christ would be themselves the cause of so much confusion and controversy surrounding this great ordinance, beloved, for years greatly troubled me. Even today, the confusion and controversy surrounding this glorious ordinance continue. For that which was first intended to unite, comfort and strengthen the believer's faith, hope and confidence in Christ is now in the hands of many professing believers an ordinance of division, controversies, and schisms. It's unbelievable what man, even in his best state, can do with the truths of God when he's left to himself. We distort the most simplistic things of Christ. But I believe this is something even our Lord himself knew the very first night he instituted this divine ordinance. I believe leaving example for every generation of true believers. For if you consider that evening, the circumstances surrounding our text, one would betray him, one would deny him thrice, and all would forsake him. Even Christ said himself, he's going to suffer soon. That was all surrounding the text we read a few minutes ago. And yet, listen to the words of our Savior. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In spite of the fact that one shall betray me, one shall deny me thrice, and you all shall forsake me, I still desire with desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Beloved, this is the heart of our Savior, that in spite of ourselves, He loves us and has compassion for us. And I think and I believe with my heart this morning it is imperative for us to understand and believe the great significance Christ himself places on this ordinance. He says in verse 14, when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. I know there's arguments concerning whether Judas was there or not, of which I'll not speak of this morning. But he sat down with the twelve apostles and he said unto them, With desire, have a desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Beloved, though this was a one-time occasion where Christ would physically 
desire to eat the Passover with his disciples before he suffered. Yet he speaks of eating it again. He says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He speaks of eating it again in the future. Both verses proving the great significance Christ Himself places on this divine ordinance. True, this was a one-time event where Christ physically partook of the Lord's Supper with His disciples, but the Scriptures teach us, the language of Scripture tells us that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is our Lord's desire to fellowship with us intimately during this ordinance. That's the significance of this divine ordinance Christ has given unto the church. And leave it up to man to distort it and make it a controversy and a confusion, rather a time of uniting believers and fellowship and comfort and encouragement. Though Christ is not physically present, the bread is not His body, nor the cup His blood. Surely by faith, dearly beloved, the believer knows that Christ is spiritually present. So again, listen to the words of Christ. I desire, with desire, I have a desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Do you not think the Lamb of God desires that same desire every time we meet and partake of the Lord's Supper? Do you see why the world hates it so much and Satan despises it? Because though we realize there's no power in the bread, no power in the cup, yet... It is Christ himself who desires to fellowship with us during this time. May we, as God's people, not get caught up in all the controversies and confusion, but may we, as God's people, desire, like Christ, to fellowship not only with one another, as I'll show you in a few minutes. There's no, there's no real Lord's Supper without the fellowship of the saints. It's part of it. Why do you think he took them apart out of the world and took them up to an upper chamber and closed the door? This is something intimately for you and me, for Christ and the believers. It's one of unity and love and compassion in spite of the fact that we all have weaknesses, in spite of the fact that one shall betray me, in spite of the fact that one shall deny me thrice, in spite of the fact that you'll all leave and forsake me this night, this ordinance is about Christ, but it's also about the fellowship and union of the believers partaking in that ordinance with Christ. That's the first and foremost thing that I believe Christ would have us to understand this morning is the great significance of this ordinance in the eyes and heart and mind of Christ. Secondly, I believe that Christ would have us understand that this divine ordinance is intended to strengthen the unity and love of the saints. Look in verse 17. And he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this. Now watch this. And divide it 
among yourselves. For years, this verse never was so clear to me than yesterday. Take this and divide it among yourselves. Listen to the words of our Lord. You take this and divide it amongst yourselves. You take this bread, which is to be remembrance of my broken body for you. I want you as a body of believers, as assembled believers, I want you to take it and divide it among yourselves. That we might be one as Christ's church. Divided among yourselves. It signifies unity and love and compassion that the believers should have not only for Christ, but also for one another in the presence of Christ. Divided among yourselves. We're all part of this. Many today, because they have ignorantly and I believe with a blind zeal separated themselves from the church, not assembling themselves together, have cut themselves off from partaking of this divine ordinance. It saddens my heart when I think of that. I believe many today have caused themselves great pain and sufferings by not assembling together with the saints. You, you see, you can't have the Lord's Supper without the assembly of the saints. Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. In their blind zeal, they've cut themselves off from an ordinance which is, has great significance for the believer's comfort and unity and love and even fellowship with Christ. Though we partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, yet it is in the assembly of the saints, in the fellowship of brothers and sisters, that such a blessed and divine ordinance is to be practiced and done. Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. You see how Christ brings in all the disciples Yes, it's about remembering Christ. Yes, it's about his broken body. And we'll look at that here in a few minutes. But Christ, with these words, would bring in all the disciples. It's, it's, it's about unity and comfort and love of the brethren. Divide it amongst yourselves. In verse 8, he tells John and Peter in preparation for it, he says, go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. Do you see what the world and our adversary has done over the last two years, especially by dividing the church, by deceiving people to believe that it's not important to assemble together as believers in one place to worship God? We have so many rogue believers who believe simply because they can't find a church of their liking that it's okay with God if they just assemble around a computer screen and partake of some sort of church. Do you see how man distorts Scripture when it fits his own prerogative? Oh, I know that Hebrews speaks about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but God knows. 
I know the scriptures speak much about the church and the importance of edifying one another and fellowshipping with another, encouraging one another and worshiping. I understand that and realize that, but my particular circumstance requires or calls on me to do something that scripture does not allow. You see how man distorts scripture when it fits his own prerogatives? Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. We come together for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to remember Him. Yes, of course, but we do it as a body of believers. We do it as one. We do it in unity and love. This is what brings Christ glory. When the church in unity and love sits together and partakes of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, this brings Christ great honor and glory. May we, like Christ, desire with desire to eat the Passover with one another as God's people. To be united by His broken body and by His blood in partaking of this ordinance that we might glorify Christ and remember His sacrifice for our sins as a body of believers. That is what brings God glory. And it gives us so much spiritual blessings if we look at it by faith, if we truly understand it. Prayer has always been a mystery to me over the last 40 years and continues to be so even now after 40 years. And yet if you ask me, I still believe that the Lord's Supper still has a great mystery to it that many of us have yet to see and believe and understand. This was to be a special time for God's people. And yet so often God's people has used it, abused it, and distorted it to where many know little of its blessings. I now truly believe as well in those younger years as a believer that many people who profess to know Christ, I believe, never did know Christ and therefore they didn't understand the significance of the Lord's Supper. Let us always be reminded it's a special time for God's people. You know, it's strange that you can believe something for so many years. I was thinking this last 48 hours, 72 hours, even on the Lord's Supper and how we see it. And even here we've used phrases that even now, after the last 48, 72 hours, strike me as strange. Such as guarding the Lord's table. Who gave us the authority to guard the Lord's name. Is there anywhere in Scripture that speaks of us guarding the Lord's table? Paul said to the church at Corinth, let every man examine himself. 
It didn't say let the church examine them. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but let's stick to Scripture. Let every man examine himself. We've intertwined so much of man's laws and regulations and institutions into Scripture sometimes that we lose sight of Scripture only, solo Scripturia. And we kind of combine it with our own thoughts and our own devices and our own opinions. Let us be careful that we're not guilty of doing that. especially when it comes to the Lord's Supper. That's two things. The third thing, and this is the most significant of all three, what is the divine purpose for partaking of the Lord's Supper? What's the divine purpose of our partaking of the Lord's Supper? Look in verse 19 and 20. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body. This is my body which is given for you. This is my body which is given for you. He's referring to what he's fixing to suffer, the sacrifice. And here's my body. This bread is a symbol of my body. Paul would even say in Corinthians, My broken body. It's broken for you. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you. Now mark those two phrases. This is my body, which was broken or given for you. Remember this, my broken body. This cup is the New Testament of my blood, which I shed for you. So the significance Christ is saying is, remember my broken body and remember my shed blood every time you partake of this ordinance. Remember my sacrifice on Calvary. Remember what I suffered on Calvary for your sins. The wrath of God was laid upon me. My sins were, your sins were laid upon me. And I suffered the punishment of all your sins. My body was broken. My blood was shed. You need to remember that. Every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, remember my broken body and my shed blood. For Paul said in Corinthians, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. His broken body, his shed blood, his death. Beloved, why are these things so important to remember? If man wrote scripture, they'd probably say, Remember me being raised from the dead. My victory over the grave. My ascending up into heaven. But the Lord's Supper is different from that. It doesn't look to anything towards His ascension, His resurrection. He says, I don't want you to see that in this ordinance. I want you to see my broken body. I want you to see my shed blood. I want you to remember my death until I come. Why are these things so important for the believer to remember? And why is such remembrance of such things to be seen 
in our participation of the Lord's Supper as believers. And I would like to believe that that's why the Lord brought me to a great despair yesterday. I was troubled and depressed. And it was as the Lord took me to Luke 22 and says, yes, you're troubled and you're distressed and you're discouraged and even depressed. But in partaking the Lord's Supper, I want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember the sacrifice I fully paid for all your sins. And that no matter what happens in this present life or in the next, my sacrifice has paid your price in full. I don't need anything else in this world or the next than assurance that my sins have been paid in full. And Christ made the sacrifice. Beloved, in all our struggles, our persecutions, our afflictions, and our trials, beloved, nothing troubles the true believer more than the guilt and shame of our own sins. For this the world whatever hold before us. For this Satan himself would ever be accusing us. And for this our own hearts and conscience would continually condemn us. Yet by our remembering Christ's broken body, shed blood and death for our sins, all three of these are put to silence. That's the significance of the Lord's Supper. Let me read two quotes for you that I put in my Bible years ago. One from John Bunyan and one from George Whitfield. John Bunyan said, and I quote, Since I repented last time, another matter has given me great sorrow, which is that if I rigorously scrutinize the best of what I now do, I discover sin. New sin is mixed with my best. For this cause, I cannot but conclude that in spite of how self-conceited and imaginative I am towards myself and my work, even if my past is without blemish, the sins which I commit in one day are enough to put me in hell. If it is not because of such a great Savior can save such a sinner like me. End of quote. George Whitfield, I quote, in all the duties which we fulfill, there are corruptions mingled in them. Should Jesus Christ accept us according to our works, after we have repented, our works would surely condemn us. For never can we offer a prayer as perfect as the moral law of God demands. I do not know how you think, but I can say I cannot pray. I can only sin. I cannot preach to you or to another or other people. I can only sin. I'm forced to confess even my repentance needs to be repented of. Even my tears need to be washed in the precious blood of my Savior, of my Redeemer. Our best works are but the refinest sins. End of quote. What is the significance of remembering the broken body, the shed blood, and his death? 
It's to remind us constantly that our sins have been paid in full. Satan may devise things against us. The world may hate us. But the greatest enemy we have, like Luther said, lies within our own bosom. It's our own heart and conscience. Beloved, nothing can silence the conscience of a guilty sinner except the blood of Jesus Christ. Some today would claim it to be unbiblical, even sinful, to confess our sins as true believers. That if Christ has forgiven you at salvation, there's no more need to confess any sins anymore. Yet I ask, where is the true believer that does not know or experience the depravity which yet remains, yet joined to his mortal flesh? Where is the true believer that does not know the depravity of his own heart, even though he's assured he's been saved by Christ? We are confined to this mortal flesh which is full of corruption. For I know that in me, Paul said in Romans 7, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. If we say that we have no sin, 1 John says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Beloved, the believer's confession of sins is not to avoid any penal judgment. Listen to me. For Christ has paid the full price for our sins. When we as believers feel and sense our sins and we come before God confessing them humbly before God, it's not that we can uh, may avoid penal judgment. Christ has taken care of that. We understand that. But it's part of Christianity. It's part of maturing. It's part of purification. It's part of sanctification. It's not to merit any favor with God. But it's a vital part of true Christianity and the divine evidence. This is most important. It's part of vital part of true Christianity, and it's the divine evidence of God's grace working in our hearts. We do not confess our sins that we might gain favor with God. We confess our sins that we might keep fellowship with God. First John three. Read it with me. I so desire to preach from this text, Lord willing, in the future. First John 3. Listen to John, beloved. Verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know, this is a rare verse because it speaks solely of the Father. It doesn't say, we can look and say, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The manner, some say, would, would be him giving of his only begotten Son. But John is speaking solely of the Father's election, his calling us. Speaks solely of the love of the Father in calling us. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, bestowed, freely given, not merited, that we should be called the sons of God, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, beloved, now are we the son 
of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. <coughs> Listen to this. <coughs> Excuse me. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now watch how he concludes this. <coughs> Excuse me. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Even he is pure. Purifieth himself even as he is pure. Do you see that? The love of the Father bestowed upon us that we be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are the sons of God. But verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as pure. Oh, Preacher, no, no child of God can purify himself. Well, what's John saying? Well, you've got to understand the script, the scripture. You've got to understand the Hebrew and the Greek. And you've got to understand what he's really trying to say. Well, I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying, every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. Even as he is pure. What's the evidence of God's grace in the life of a believer produced? Sanctification. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now we know, hopefully, that Psalm 32 is written in light or in the shadow of Bathsheba, David's sin. But have you ever noticed David doesn't say, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David's basically confessing his sin. Bathsheba. Oh, a believer confessing his sin is not unbiblical. It's very biblical. If we know anything about the love, mercy, and grace of Christ, it's evidence of God's grace dwelling in our hearts. It's not to merit any favor. Yet, what I want you to see this morning, I wanted you to understand that, but what I want you to see this morning is the purpose of the Lord's Supper in closing. I want to bring this back to your attention again so that you can see this. I want you to understand this. You have to, God willing, understand this. In this divine ordinance, we are to be reminded how Christ himself, listen to me, by his perfect sacrifice, paid the full price for all our sins, past, present, and future. This ordinance is to remind us that there's, whether we have sins of the past, sins of the present, and even the sins of our future have all been paid for already. People say, well, if they've already been paid for, why confess? Again, it's speaking about our fellowship with Christ, but the remembrance of the Lord's Supper, what we're partaking of today, is to remind us that all our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. We will never answer for our sins again. That's why the Lord said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Remember my death. Why? Because your sins have been paid. In full. So every time we approach the Lord's Supper, this is what we are to be reminded of. 
that every single one of my sins, past, present, and future, has been paid for by Christ. I'll never answer to God for my sins because of the sacrifice of Christ. John chapter 10, the other verse that I've been wrestling with about preaching. John chapter 10, two verses and I'll close. John chapter 10, the sheep pastor. This is an amazing pastor. I wanted to preach on verses 27 to 30, and it was like jumping into a raging river. And it was like I can't, I can't jump into verse 27 and forsake the first 26 because I think we'll all drown if I did because there's amazing passage of Scripture in this whole entire chapter about his sheep and them knowing his voice and him knowing them. It's intimacy. But listen to what our Lord says. Let's start in verse 26. He speaks to the Pharisees here. But you believe not because you're not my sheep. As I said unto you, now watch this. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Look in verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. How could one hear the words of Christ and not hear the voice? What a tragedy. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Now watch this. And I give unto them eternal life. They'll live forever. But watch how he puts a double assurance on this. And they shall never perish. Not only eternal life, but they're never going to perish. But not only that, he goes further. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Not only is their eternal life secure, they'll never perish, but even in this present life, nobody's going to be able to pluck them out of my hand. They are safe and secure in me for eternity, for past, present, and future. My Father, which gave them me. You ever considered yourself a gift of the Father to the Son? My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What more assurance do we need as God's people? I and my Father are one. I give them an eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What intimacy, what intimacy have we with Christ? This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, your Son. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And we could look at more, but Hebrews ten fourteen, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And here it is. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Isn't that amazing? Compare that with our text. The Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. 
But here the Lord says, I'm not going to remember something. Well, what's that? I'm not going to remember your sins or iniquities. You say, can God be so forgetful? No. But that is the sovereign power of the shed blood of Christ. Do you understand the depth of depravity which we fell in in Adam? I, I fear so many Christians don't understand that or grasp the depth of the depravity. It took the Son of God to sacrifice Himself on Calvary to loosen us from the fetters of sin and wash and purge us clean. It took the Son of God to do that. And we are to be reminded of that every time we approach this Lord's Supper, that our sins, past, present, and future, are forever forgiven in Christ. And no matter what happens, we're safe and secure in Christ. That is what we must remember when we partake of the Lord's Supper. That is what we must remember when we gather together as God's people. And to believe and understand and to know there's many Christians who have cut themselves off from this divine ordinance truly saddens my heart. You're missing a tremendous blessing. May we thank God that we have a small assembly of believers, that we can partake of such an ordinance. May we thank God for it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do pray now that, Lord, you would bless this time as we gather around your table. Lord, may we, by faith, believe and sense the presence of Christ. As we partake of this bread, may we remember his broken body. As we partake of this cup, may we be reminded of his shed blood who paid the debt of our sins. And may we be reminded of his death that he died in our place so that we might live. Truly, he's come to give us life and give us it more abundantly. And John 10, he says, I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore, my Father loveth me. Oh, dear God, help us to always be reminded when we partake of the Lord's Supper, of the great sacrifice Christ gave. And may our hearts be united in love, compassion for one another, but especially for Christ. In great adoration, worship, and praise. Lord, we look forward to that day when we shall all sup with you in heaven. We will see you as you are. Thank you, dear God, for all things. We ask these things now in Christ's name.